Hi, and welcome to this week's episode of the Penny Lane Podcast featuring Impressive Emu, brought to you by Pennies Going In Raw. The stock market is hotter than ever right now, and traders are taking advantage. But what does that mean for the people who still haven't started trading? The market can be a little intimidating at first, but you don't have to be alone in the learning experience. We at the Pennies Going In Raw podcast are here to help you. I'm Dan, and with my co-host Hugh Henney, we make the stock market a fun but informative experience for our listeners. We offer knowledge for all levels of traders, from beginners to those who do it full-time. On PGIR, we discuss up-to-date news about the stock market and interview other traders who all started out just like us and made it big. You'll hear from Hugh and other multi-millionaire traders, founders and CEOs of companies, Fintwit superstars, and even professional athletes. Have you ever thought about investing your hard-earned cash but don't know where to start? Do you have money just sitting in your savings account collecting dust? We were all there once, too. Listen to Pennies Going In Raw on the iHeartRadio app, on Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Emu, hi! Welcome to the Penny Lane Podcast. Hey, it's great to be here. We're so happy to have you, and lucky for us, Justin's here today. Hello, Justin. So I have the pleasure of uh, sitting in this space with two men who are still at work. Mm-hmm. Nice. Really uh, burning the midnight oil. As they say. That's right. <laughs> so, um, Emu, you, Emu, you just told us that you're in New York on Long Island. That's right. Yeah, because this is where I've always, uh, I've lived here my whole life. I grew up, I was born in Queens, um, spent a lot of time in the city growing up um, and moved out to Long Island when I was, uh, I don't know, uh, a teenager and been out here ever since. Cool. Uh, Long Island is who we might have to cut this out. I believe I went through Long Island to get out to Quogue one time. Yeah, that's okay. Yeah, it's out east. Nice area. <laughs> <laughs> I'm really stab in the dark there. It's it's um, it's, it's it's Quag is actually Quag. The right. Quag. Well, close enough. Close enough. <laughs> yeah, it was a. Uh, Nice remote little area. Very nice. Yeah. Yeah. Out east, close to the Hamptons, close to uh, a lot of beautiful areas there, yeah. We did then go on to the Hamptons, and I absolutely loved it. Like, maybe more than I've ever loved a place ever. And my husband's like, well, I mean, (laughs) sorry. Like, (laughs) enjoy your time here, because I don't think it's a place you're going to visit regularly. Yeah, yeah, it's pricey out there. We go, we go to Montauk a lot, so we go through the Hamptons, Southampton, East Hampton. Spend some time there. East Hampton's beautiful. Like you're an artist, you'd, you'd love it there. All the little shops and the artists that go out there and spend a lot of time out there. It's beautiful out there. Yeah, I actually the reason I went to Quag, did I say it right? Mm-hmm. Yeah, is because I'm in a gallery there, the Quag Gallery. Makes sense. Yep. Yeah, and I like wanted a. I really wanted a gallery there to have an excuse to go, but I've only gone the one time. Very nice. Justin, have you been to the Hamptons? You seem like a Hamptons guy. (laughs) Justin? I think we lost him. He's perfectly still. (laughs) That happened earlier. (laughs) Justin? (laughs) I thought he was just listening to us. It just very. <laughs> I'm like, wow, he's like a statue. I was not clear on whether or not you've been there. No, confirm not been. Would like to go. 
Because I can really see you on a yacht in a white outfit, just... Well, it sounds lovely. Popping bottles. <laughs> <laughs> on credit. Yeah. Yeah. Full tilt. Yes. 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 Paris Hilton will come out there and she'll pull up in her Ferrari while you're doing that at the same time. Oh, you got <laughs> us all figured out. Either. That's right. All right. Well, Emu, um, you have been mentioned many times on the podcast before in a mentor role, especially by that cute little gup. (laughs) (laughs) So, so you are a teacher, right? I I am. I am TA. Yes. I uh, took on the role as educator. Um, Brad had asked me to become one um, after so many people had been so interested in, in uh, what I was talking about. So I uh, happily took on the role and I've been helping people ever since. It's kind of, honestly, it's a kind of a surprise. I never expected that. I was just there trying to look. I was looking for a room to hang out with people that were like-minded, that were interesting trading like I was, you know, with a cool vibe, nothing, nothing too derogatory, too crazy, too extreme. Um, and found that at MTA and just enjoyed myself there and quickly kind of got along with everybody. It worked out really well. It worked out really nicely. I love it. Fantastic. So how long were you in MTA before you got the educator role? Oh, I don't know. A couple of months, maybe. Cool. Joined like right away. So a few months later. Cool. Well, I think it's a good time for you to take us through how you started trading and your journey. Justin, I'm going to I'm going to mute because my dogs are freaking out and I'm going to let you take over here. Got it. All right. Okay. Well, my training journey goes back way back. I, um, I'm a little older. I'm probably one of the oldest people in MTA. I think Mikey might have a little bit on me. That's about it. But, um, I started training when I was a kid, I fell into a little bit of money and, uh, started with options. But back then it was over the phone with a broker and I was doing Micron options. And I'd call them up and I said, listen, I want to you know, go long. I want to go short. I want to buy this. I want to buy that strike price for this expiration. Pretty much blew like two months worth of salary in a couple of weeks. <laughs> and nice. got um, kind of turned off to it pretty quickly. I was like, this is not right. Plus, my, my broker was getting 50 bucks on every trade. And he was giving me zero advice and zero help. And I'm like, this isn't, this isn't the way it's supposed to be. Um, at the time, I was working for a company called ADP, Investor Communication Services. It's now called Broadridge. We used to mail out all the annual reports and prospectuses and do all the fulfillment for all the, the funds and whatnot. But it was basically just a giant mailhouse. It wasn't like anything special. But all these different financial materials were around, and I'd pick them up and start reading them as I'm doing stuff, just trying to get a feel for everything. I still have Marvel's first annual report and a bunch of other really cool annual reports that came out back over the years when they IPO'd. Um, so from that, I kind of just stayed with it, but in a very typical retail kind of way where it's just, you know, I bought some, held on to it for a few years, collected some dividends and let it grow. Never got into the day trading thing until I had my daughter. Um, I went through a big, um, my journey in business is pretty complex. I've worked for a couple of companies. I started my own companies. There was a time where I took off, for a few, I sold my company and took off for about four or five years and stayed home with my daughter when my wife was working. During that time, I took day trading much, much more seriously. I was like, you know what? I'm just going to figure this out. I'm smart enough. I'll, I'll make it work. Um, when I went to college, I went to college for engineering, electrical engineering, actually. And um, 
Dropped out. Wait, I we got we got to pause there just okay. to acknowledge we've got another engineer yep. day trader. All you guys, I you're didn't all finish, engineers. So. I didn't finish because I was making good money working. So I didn't. I, I and what I learned quickly about engineering school was that I didn't want to spend the rest of my life trying to figure out how many different ways I could wind a motor to get them make it the most efficient way. It just didn't sound appetizing to me or any of those really specific details that you spend 30 years on. Um, somebody explained to me, listen, if you go into management and you get your engineering degree, you can at least manage a group of engineers. You could head projects. You could have, you know, be much more interesting of a job. I started making money right away. And I was like, this is, I'm just going to go make money. This is what I'm going to do. I'm already, you know, doing my thing. So I never went back to school um, and, and had quite a complex journey after that. But when I took that time off, I uh, picked up my computer, had my little baby girl next to me. I said, let's figure this out. We're going to do this. Um, failed miserably for a while, probably for a long while, actually. I started trying to day trade, messed that up really bad, um, figured out there's this thing called futures where you could leverage a lot more money, make a lot more money and lose a lot more money. Picked it up a little bit, what I thought I knew about it, you know, compared to what I know now, I didn't know anything. Um but I managed to just slowly bleed my money over five years rather than doing it in a day so or in a couple of weeks. <laughs> um, and then I stopped again. I just I, I, I was like, I'm done. I blew up like two accounts in that time frame. I'm like, this is crazy. This doesn't make any sense to me. I'm, it's not, maybe it's not for me. I had to ask myself that question a couple of times. Maybe this is just not for me. Um, but I couldn't put it down. I love it. I really, really enjoyed it. You know, I was really upset with myself for not being able to figure it out. So I always dabbled in it over the years, over the last, my daughter's 11 now, over the last few years um, and stayed with it and revisited what I thought I knew, learned more about other perspectives, really still have yet to read a book on it or anything like that, but kind of just went into a chat room here or there, mostly on TOS, um, followed Shadow Trader on TOS, on Thinkorswim. Um, and, and there's another trader shot in there, just trying to see what these other guys are talking about. And as I was going through that, I incorporated some of it and revisited what I did, what I did know and didn't know and started putting it all together. And it started to make more and more sense to me. And I think that whole journey is, it took as long as it did because I was so in a rush to just make a lot of money instead of, instead of figuring out what actually the right way to trade. You know, I was so in a rush to turn, a few thousand bucks into a hundred thousand bucks that I didn't take the time to really understand what I was getting myself into. If, if when I started my business, I went through market research, how much money do I need? What's the rent going to cost? I had every penny figured out years in advance, even, you know, what's my salary is going to be like, what's my taxes going to be like, well, how's this all going to work? I went into trading like a complete idiot. Here's some money. Let me throw it at this. I'll yellow it there. Or I'll, I'll buy that there and see what happens. It was really gambling. I was really just buying lottery tickets. And the results showed that, right? But when I started to treat it like a business, when I started to treat it as something that mattered, it's not okay to lose any money, not a little bit of money, not a medium, no money is okay. Um, So, but, but understanding that losing money is part of trading. It's part of the overall probability of day-to-day trades. You're going to lose a little, you're going to make a little at the end of the day, at the end of the week, at the end of the month, you'll be up if you do it right. Once I kind of got to that point, I started being not just break even, but a little profitable. And I started moving up and I stopped looking at everything that everybody else was looking at the way they looked at it. 
So when I first started, you know, one of the first things you're, you're taught to do is look at indicators. Okay, this is a MACD. This is how it works. This is when you buy it. This is when you sell it. And you look at it, it's like, wow, this really works. And then you trade it. You're like, I don't know when to get in. When do I get out? How does this? I don't understand. It's not working every time I do it. Um, then I'd move on to other indicators. Then I'd move on to, um, you know, ways of uh, reading volume. And it really took a long time before I realized that it's actually a combination of all those things, you know. I'm sorry, I'm rambling a little bit. No, 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 this is perfect. How many years elapsed between when you started trading and when you became consistently profitable? For me, it was a long journey. I'll be honest with you. It wasn't, it wasn't a few weeks. It wasn't a few months. It wasn't even a few years. It was a while. I would say- Would you say like seven or eight years? I would say almost seven years. Yeah. So um, today I released an episode with Mitch Picks and- Prior to that interview, the longest time it took someone to become trade uh, profitable was singles and doubles. It took him seven years. And then Mitch Pick said it took him eight years. Yeah. And I kind of wonder if like they're just being the most honest, you know, like at I don't have an I opinion on that, but I can <laughs> tell you from my experience, I don't know enough traders in my, in, in, in my life. Um, the traders I do know are all online. I don't talk to any traders day to day. I don't know anybody that works the market. Um, I don't see how it, it, you could do it in a six months or a year or two years. Knowing everything I know now and the experience that I have, it's and I think of myself as a fairly smart person, and you know, maybe average, maybe above average. I think of myself as a smart person. Um, there's a lot to pick up. There really is mm -hmm. a lot to pick up to do it right, to do it consistently. You can get your winning trades. Everybody can get a winning trade in. And everybody can be part of a, a market that just blows up and just you can't do any wrong. That's great. But a consistent market, it, if after you go through a few bear markets, a few bull markets, a few sideways markets, and you see what actually happens and how it works, until you get through all of that, I don't see how you can be. It takes yeah. a decade to go through all of those, you know? Yeah. So... So are you still trading options or, or was that that one-time thing and you were paying 50 bucks a trade and <laughs> yeah. losing all of them and said, you know, after I found futures, I didn't go back to options other than, you know, whenever I owned a stock that I didn't want to lose money in a bear market, I'd sell calls against it or something like that to reduce my loss to, to come yeah. losses down. Other okay. than that, I really stayed away from options. Other than selling premium, I'm not really interested in them. Yeah. Um, it doesn't do that much for me. Now, do you do you think that any of that has to do with how you got started and how bad Probably. it went? Or yeah. do you Okay. So I didn't know if you like kinda hated the fundamentals of them or you hate the well, derivative function of it, or you just you know, all or you just found a better a better option. I no, found something no that works for me more than anything else. And you know, I'm not in love with the whole time value. If you're buying options, it depreciates just from owning it, you know, and that that to me is a turnoff to it. You really have to be super right. It's already working against you the day, the minute you buy it. Um, I like selling options. I like selling calls. I like selling puts mm -hmm. or, or, you know, but I'm not a big fan of buying them for, for a couple of reasons. One of the main reasons is, again, time value, right, the theta. The other reasons are um, that the market has three directions, not, not, not two. It can go up, it can go down, or it can go sideways. And if you're buying an option and it goes – not necessarily against you. It doesn't go anywhere. You're still going to lose, right? But if it goes against you, you're going to lose. So you already got 66% probability you're going to lose. Um, you know, I'm not, that's not my thing. When you get into futures, you get tremendous leverage. You get to get in and get out whenever you want, and there's no time decay. Mm 
Go ahead, Brian. <laughs> uh, so we just interviewed Ch- Chathan. Chathan. Got to make got to make sure I say his name right. Yep. And he and Ellis Dillinger spent the entire episode trying to explain futures to me. And by the end, I just was like, cool. And like, I still, I mean, there was something about like, you need an address where they can show up to bring like an oil barrel to your house. And I was like, I don't, I I can't. You can't end up with a bunch of goats in your front. I don't want the oil. I don't want the goats. No lean hogs for you. All right. (laughs) Soybeans. Soybeans and wheat, corn. You know, I'll I'll explain it to you. I bet you'll get it in two minutes. I'll give it to you a super simple version of it. All right. Well, I mean, you might imagine you wanted to trade. Yes. (laughs) Imagine you wanted to trade Amazon right now. Today, okay. it's thirty. What is it? Thirty five hundred dollars a share. Thirty four hundred dollars a share right now, right? So to trade one share, you need thirty five hundred bucks. Imagine you wanted to trade three hundred fifty thousand dollars worth of Amazon, but you only have a thousand dollars. That's what futures allows you to do. It's exactly the same thing. So what you're doing is you're trading this SPX. The SPX. What you do is every point. And it's called in the ES futures is it's it's one tenth actually it's it's the minis of the SPX SPX aren't tradable but it's an index right so so one tenth of that value what you do is you multiply the the, the actual price of the ES futures which is forty seven hundred I think right now forty seven twenty wherever it was today wherever it ended today forty seven hundred I think um, times the value of one point which is fifty bucks right so it's hundreds of thousands of dollars. I'm doing my math. I'm, 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 it's really late in the day, so I'm just going to do my math quick. 236000 bucks. So what you need to trade futures, what you need to trade the ES is margin to buy one contract in Got order it. to trade. Two contracts, you'd have half a million dollars worth of leverage. Three contracts, you have $750,000 worth of leverage. Four contracts is a million dollars worth of leverage. So it's similar to that. So, I mean, trading is trading in itself is the whole point of trading is trying to make money with the least amount of money you need to put into it, least risking the least amount of money to make the most amount of money. Right. And that's what futures does for you. So let me let me walk you through futures very quickly. So one contract gets you the ability to enter an ES mini future. Okay, ES mini moves one tick at a time at twelve dollars and fifty cents a tick. Meaning like, you know, when you buy a stock. And you, and you buy a thousand shares, every penny goes up, it goes out a certain amount of money. Okay, mm-hmm. so every single tick that it goes up on yes, it's $12.50 per contract. On the average day, you move 10 points, 15, 20. Today, we moved 50 in both directions. It was crazy, crazy day today. Um, you move 10 points, that's 40 ticks. That's $500 per contract. In order to trade it, you need margin in the account. Mm-hmm. Okay, so full margin is 15,000 bucks right now, about 15,000 bucks. But there's a lot of low margin brokers that'll let you trade that same contract that's already super leveraged yeah. for only $500 during the day between the hours of 9.30 and four. So if you have 500 bucks in your account, which is too low because if you goes one tick against you to close it out, obviously, but let's say you have a thousand bucks in your account and you trade one ES and you, and you trade it correctly, you get the 10 points the way in the right direction, you've just gotten 50% of your money. It's 100% of the money you traded because it was $500 to trade and you got $500 in return. So you end the day with $1,500. So you end the day with $1,500 if you're trading correctly on that day. The okay. next day, if you have $1,500, you could trade two contracts. 
take that same 10 point move, you make a grand. Now you're up to $2,500. Okay. You could do this every day. You can compound up to 20 contracts plus. You can compound out much more above that. Um, but you can get up to 20 contracts at that leverage of only $500 per contract. That's and a this, Go ahead. The uh, thing you're trading that's moving, what, what did you say it was called? Uh, the, the SPX futures, ES. It's the okay. E-mini futures for, for SPX. So the SPY is the ETF for it. Okay. Uh, S&P 500. That I understand. Yes. So it's the SPY of futures. Yeah. Okay. Okay. Yes. <laughs> Perfect. Is that all anyone, is that the main thing that people trade in That's futures? That's the most liquid futures there is. Absolutely. Okay. There's okay. always somebody buying and selling at every single strike price. Um, and, the, and there's probably about a million contracts a day being, being traded on that, which is actually a lot for futures. It doesn't that sound like a lot. That seems low. It does seem slow, but when you comp- when you look at actual futures and the way it moves, it's tremendous. Okay. Um, some futures only move with only 10,000 contracts a day, 30,000 contracts, 50,000. Um, but the most liquid is definitely ES. And oil will probably be right up there too. Gold is right up there. The euro dollar futures are right up there. They're, they trade very, very, very liquid. And you can get in and you can get out, and it trades 23 hours a day. So... It moves and you can trade. Somebody like me who works full time can get up at six o'clock in the morning, trade between six and nine thirty, ten, six to eight even, um, get you know, a couple of hours in, do what I need to do with the kids, get to work, turn the computer back on at work, pick up where I left off in between what I'm doing at work and still be able to trade. Um, and trading pre-market really gives you a good feel for what's going on with the overall market. When you're about to go into a small cap trade or something that's going on at nine thirty, ten o'clock, 11 o'clock, you kind of already have a feel what the overall market's doing. So it's extremely useful to know what's going on with, right. the, uh, with the industry futures. Big question, embarrassing question. I hate to, that I have That's to ask fine. it. Okay. What does, Justin loves to say this, what does futures are green? What does that <clears> mean? They're up. They're moving in the right direction. They're going up and they're probably, so all boats rise and fall on the same tide. Okay. So if futures are up, it means the S&P stocks are going to be up, which means it's probably going to carry the rest of the stocks up with it or anything How, that's, that's related to it. Of the, what's the market open? 340 days a year? Uh, no, less than that, right? Less than. Weekends. Right. <laughs> yeah, it's 200 and something. 270. I'm not, I'm not a mathematician. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Let's, okay. An engineer. Sure. What percentage of the days in 2021 would you say that the market opened with futures being green or that the futures were green? If I had a guess, I would say 50 percent. Okay. Okay. cool. Yeah. I mean, like those odds now, Blaine. I do think it's interesting. Also, question for Justin. Why aren't you doing this? This set is like literally perfect for your personality. Also, <laughs> is Booch doing this? He is, and he's doing well. He's just paper trading right now, but he's actually up every day lately. Yeah, yeah. I could see Booch really liking this. This is made for certain personality types. And Justin, you really fit in there. You know, I, I have never looked into it for no particular reason. So I'd love to know what piqued your interest and how you got started because this is a very narrow kind of it's not a big world out there no it's not it's growing though it is growing much more interest is is going into futures right now 
Um, you asked me why why I went this way, what what pulled me towards futures. Is that what the question was? I'm sorry. Yeah. Yeah. So when I was trading stocks, the the biggest issue for me was finding what people cared about at the moment. First, you have to find the right sector. Then you have to find the one people, the ones that are actually people are actually trading, the ones with the relative volume. Then you have to figure out if they're at the right spot. Is this a good time to buy? Is it going to be next week? Do they have news coming up? Is there earnings? Are they about to drop an offering? It just became so inundating to try to figure out all these other things when I can just watch one, two, three, five tickers every day with the same kind of movement, with the same kind of leverage and the same kind of outcome. To me, it just didn't make sense. Plus, overall, if you look at the market, look at look at the S&P 500 for the past 100 years since it got started. I don't even know when the S&P 500 got started. It's been on a trajectory in one direction. Yeah. So generally speaking, although you may have had 50% down days, 50% up days. On the up days, it's been bigger than the down days. If you generally are buying, you generally are going to do well, right? So that's why we're always making fun of buy the dip in the, in the futures room. It's like, oh, time to buy the fucking dip again because all we do is go up. It's never going to go down. Um, but what happens is uh, if, if, if you there are times you can get – with that much leverage, it doesn't take a, a big move to blow up your account. Right, so if it's going against you and you have that much leverage, or you're you're maxed out on your leverage. It's not going to take a lot for you to just be totally out of it. Um, but Wait, if you question. Try, yeah. Can you? You can lose more than your account size. Yeah, you can. Absolutely. Okay. Okay. Yeah, that's happened to me. Yeah. <laughs> okay. <laughs> is this is this where you're out now, Blake? Uh huh. <laughs> okay. <laughs> it, it's not. It's not as uh, as likely anymore. Right. Brokers are much more on top of it now. But there was a time where they actually used to pick up the phone and call me and say, hey, you're about to, you know, you're about to uh, go below margin. Um, you know, something crazy would happen. Maybe in, in that gas or something like that, a CL and it'd blow up or, or, or was crashing. And I was in the trade thinking that it's going to bounce any second. But all of a sudden it just drops like through the floor. Um, that's happened. Yeah. But, you know, that's that's part of having stops in place and part of making sure that, you know, Right now, brokers will close you out. Right now, brokers will intervene. They'll see it happening. Their computers will all go off. All the bells and whistles will go off, and, and they'll they'll stop you out. But there was a time when that wasn't the case, and it wasn't that long ago either. So, again, this is where my knowledge ends. So this is probably a dumb question, but aren't there not common stock common share type vehicles that emulate futures contracts that not like an ETF, but like if you like you use natural gas as an example, right? You're not buying the commodity natural gas. There's tickers out there that are, are those not emulating the future price of natural gas or, or oil? Is, is that, I mean, are there other mechanisms other than buying the actual contracts? Yeah. Well, I mean, other than like you just said, ETFs and other, uh, um, vehicles that mimic that move or follow that move, yes, but they're not they're not leveraged like like you are. You can't go and buy two hundred and fifty thousand dollars worth of that stock like you can with futures. Sure, you know, futures is super leveraged. Yeah, but when you go in and you buy natural gas and it moves a dollar, oh my God, it moves a dollar. Forget about it. That's like ten grand um, in profits. Um, but if it moves, you know, a small amount, it's a tremendous amount of money. It really yeah. is. It adds up very, very quickly. 
So did do you have to go through a vetting process with your broker to mm-hmm. confirm that? So is it the same as options? Like, do you mm-hmm. have to get certain levels of approval? Correct. Not just margin, but you got to demonstrate some level of understanding of how margins are relevant. It's not like they give you, it's not like they give you margin. It, well, I shouldn't say it that way. It's not like, it's not like a stock where you have 10 grand and they give you, you know, 20 grand to spend. Mm-hmm. It's that you have 15 grand in your account and now you're allowed to trade that future. And if you go below that 15 grand margin or three grand margin, whatever it is for that instrument that you need, once you go below that amount of money in your account and you're still in the trade, they're going to ask you to close out the, close out the trade. Or they'll put, the, they'll put a stop limit in there so that you don't go below zero and say, tell you flat out, don't take that off. If you do, we're going to close it out and we'll close out your account. But they do. there is a vetting process where they want to make sure you have some experience trading stocks, some experience trading options, and the longer the better, you know. Um, and then they'll... You know, after a couple of years of that, they'll allow you to trade futures. And the, and the reason for that is because of how leveraged it is and how quickly you can move against you and blow up your account. You buy a stock and you're wrong about it and you move it to your IRA or whatever you want to do with it. You hold on to it. It's no big deal unless the company goes to zero, which you know happens, but doesn't happen that often. It's different than buying futures. You're on the wrong, if you're on the wrong direction of futures, it just keeps moving against you. If you've shorted the S the S and P five hundred a couple of days ago even you'd be screwed right now you'd be a million dollars in the hole you can't it it, it takes billions of dollars to move that index uh-huh. so um, and when you and and if you're going to be in, in if you're going to be participating in a in a move like that um, you need to be careful about your entries and your exits much more than uh, than a regular common stock. I didn't confuse you, hopefully. No, no. Actually, I think I have a I have a pretty good handle on that. I think. Um, so they talked about deliveries of stuff because what happens is if you <laughs> go long oil and you and there's expirations on these contracts, you know they they overlap. And what we do is we switch to the contract that has the greatest volume. So we're trading it just like you would a stock buying. Well, there's actually this is the other reason, Justin, that I switched to futures. When you go in for stocks. And commons, you, you you typically are looking for the long trade. That makes the most sense, right? So you can buy it and sell it for a profit. However, when you're looking for a short trade, it's much more difficult. You need to borrow it. There's fees associated with it. Sometimes they're hard to borrow. There's none to borrow. They're easy to borrow. With futures, you hit the buy button and you go long. You hit the sell button. You go short. You hit the sell button again. You're short. Some more. You hit the buy button. You're long again. It doesn't make a difference. You go either direction at will anytime. And it gives you the ability to, to trade both directions and make a tremendous amount of money. So while stocks are falling off a cliff and everybody's crying about the IRA, you're short the S&P and you're like, I'm good. I don't care. They can go to zero right now. I'll be a millionaire. You know, it's that kind of thing. So it gives you the ability. It also gives you the ability to get out of this little um, circle, this little tiny um a world of finance where there's so much more you can go into, right? If you're just doing stocks and you're just doing it for for a few hours a day, you're really limiting your ability to make money in the market. And if you have futures as someplace else to go where you can trade commodities and you can trade indices and you can trade currencies, um, that opens up a whole new world. Just like options opens up another vehicle for you and bonds might work up another vehicle for you. There's other areas to put money when one isn't working and sometimes stocks don't work. You know, that might happen sooner than later when bonds start coming back and start mattering again, interest rates start going up. It may not be what it is right now. It may be flatter. 
as a market. Um, you may want to be able to do some of these other things to be able to continue making money as a trader. So do you exclusively trade futures right now? Uh, 90% of the time, yeah. Cool. Yeah. And I also heard, just to really transition, uh, I heard that you're my guy to ask about fibs. Maybe. <laughs> okay. Let's say I know nothing about fibs. Okay. What can you tell me? What can I tell Hold you? Hold on. Back up. Can <laughs> okay. you... Do you know, I mean, do you know what you're abbreviating, Blaine? Let's start there. Fibonacci levels? Well, yeah. Okay. Okay. <clears throat> that's a, um, a charting tool. I, I think I think you now know more than you think you did. So. Well, Gup helped me some, but said, don't ask him, ask you. <laughs> well, so FIBS is something I was uh, exposed to long time ago when I was first trading uh, futures, when I, when I was with my daughter at that time, somebody started talking about fibs in one of those uh, thinkorswim chat rooms. And the way they drew them is they drew them on every flag on the daily. They pulled them on every flag. And, and then they said, if whenever you see a lot of them lining up in the same area, that's a level that's really important and matters. And you should look at that. So that's great and all. I just didn't know how that mattered to me, how to enter, how to exit. There was still a whole system I didn't really get. So that was just always in the back of my head. And I've always tried to, to use them in my training, but never really got it refined, right? So what's a FIB? A FIB is a, um, it's a, a way to measure the market, a way to measure price action in the market, right? Um, and I specifically exclusively use the, Fib, the Fibonacci retracement tool. I don't use the extension tool. I don't use any time series or the channels or any of those. I use strictly the retracement tool. Um, and the interesting thing about Fibonacci's in the real world, outside of trading, is how it makes things look appealing, how it makes things look, how it makes things work. Fibonacci numbers are just uh, it's a sequence of numbers, right? You start with one, and then you have number two, because it's one plus one is two. The next number is three, because two plus one is three. The next number is five, because it's three plus two is five. The next number is eight, because it's five plus three is eight, and it keeps going in that sequence. You find that sequence in nature almost everywhere. You find the ratio, that specific ratio, if you divide one number by the other, by eight, by five, and on, um, so on, um, that golden ratio, you find that everywhere also. You find it in things that look attractive. Totally. You know, I wor I've worked as a professional photographer for 15 years. Okay. Then you know the... Then you know how that works and how that makes things makes things look attractive and just work better in nature. You can see it in sunflowers. You can see it on the proportions of your face. You can see it in some of the uh, some of the Greek buildings that they built back in the day. They made sure the proportions were just right so that it was appealing to the eye. I really believe charts that are not appealing to the eye are hard to trade. Ooh, I like this. Yeah. I like this a lot. It actually, I, I really believe that. So there's a couple of things that happen, right? When a, when a stock first IPOs and it, no one knows where it's going, it's all based on fundamentals. That's not going to go up. That's going to go down. Bulls and bears, they're fighting over it. It finds a way, finds a direction. And then there's a pullback. And then it goes again in that same direction. So the only way to kind of get a gauge of how far it can go is by doing Fibonacci's, Right. So those levels that are first created during the IPO, those levels, I think, are what stick to it going forward. That's what creates the, 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 the levels that will stick with that stock for a very, very long time. When they go back to those levels, they're going to react again, all the way back as far as the IPO, until it's, it escapes and runs away to new, very, very high levels. But then they get created up there anyway, right? Um, <clears throat> so... 
But if you look at a chart and then you say to yourself, this needs to kind of come down, but how far down should it go? Halfway, a little bit more than halfway, a little less than halfway. When you put the Fibonacci's up there, it kind of gives you all these levels and it kind of makes it really clear to see that's a chart that makes sense to me. This is a good place to enter visually. I don't mean mathematically, fundamentally. I just mean visually. And um, as you start to use them and you kind of get a feel for where they belong and, and how you can draw. And I'm a very visual person. I spent my entire childhood drawing. So I, and that's what I took to engineering and it kind of put the two together. And then I went into marketing. I don't even know what I'm doing. anymore. I'm all <laughs> um, but I took all of my previous skills and kind of applied it to the market and looking at charts and they all kind of fell together. It made a lot of sense to me. And then when I started to use the fibs in a special way, which you won't read about or see anywhere. I use them in a very specific way. Um, it all became super clear, really, really clear. It, it made so much sense to me. Everything kind of late. And if you watch the video that I had put out, every time I draw my fib, you can see very quickly how the levels become super strong, support and resistance levels everywhere, every single time I draw them. And I, I, don't, I don't see that happening until I actually draw the fib. It, it re price always reacts at those levels very, very dramatically. So it's really interesting. Um, when I found that happening and I found how well it was happening, I went back and tried to make a trading system out of it so that I could figure out when should I enter? When do I exit? Um, how, what can I expect from this move? How often does this level get hit compared to the next level? And I kind of did my own little stats and figured it out. And then, um, and I, you know, I had it, I had it, I thought I had it down pat until I was asked to explain it in, in MTA. Then it was like, Oh shit! I really, I'm not sure. Should I do it on the close of the candle or the? Because it was kind of in gray for me, but I had a good feel for it. But I was uh -huh. never asked to explain it to anybody. When I did that, and when I was forced to explain it, and then reviewed it, and then I was like, "Well, I really need to answer that question right. I can't just throw something out there. I need to give them a good answer." I actually refined it to the point where it's like now I, I it's it's golden. It really, really works really, really well. And actually, MTA helped me do that. That's awesome. Yeah, absolutely. I love that. I like this whole concept a lot. I'm going to have to watch. It's You just did a YouTube video, right? Mm -hmm. I'm going to have to do that <clears throat> because I use that all the time when people are like, well, why did you pick this stock? And all right. I can say is like, it was really pretty. <laughs> right. The stock made sense to you. It connected to you. The, the, it made, this chart made sense to you, right? Yeah. If you learn but, how to draw fibs the way I draw them, you'll be you'll be really interested. You'll, yeah, you'll be really no, I'm, too. I'm already like really interested. Awesome. Because yeah, and I've talked about that on here too because I do. People get upset with me about this, but I do like a lot of my trading is just kind of like a feeling. Like I just, it's like an intuitive feeling, and a lot of that comes from me just thinking like this chart is like pretty and balanced and it's like going up consolidating going up consolidating like it's stair stepping in a way that my mind likes and all of that um i'm super interested it seems like maybe the answer to all my could be like blaine why are you trading that and i'm like mm, the chart's pretty <laughs> <laughs> listen it Trading is, is that's, the, that's the, the last part of our training I didn't get either um, until later on is we all have our own personalities and options is a certain way to trade. You know, futures is a certain way to trade. Commons is a different way to trade. Um, 
And some people just want to be in a lot of trades at the same time. Some people just want to focus on one thing and just kind of let it play out and get out and move on to the next thing. Once you figure out your personality type and you match it to a style of trading, which needs to be your own, I think that's when you do well. And I think I finally did that over the last few years. And I yeah. refined it over the last year, I would say. Yeah. Um, I, <clears throat> I do talk about this a lot, but I interviewed Shark. Mm-hmm. One time he's an options trader. And it was Justin wasn't here and it was just about options. So I was like, well, I have to talk to him about something that's not purely options because I just don't think I could hang in that conversation. And he is a musician and I'm a painter, which you brought up. Thank you for knowing that. And we talked a lot about the correlation between art and trading and the ability to like I put it as looking at a blank canvas and being able to like pick your tools and choose your own adventure and have like, you make one mark, which then speaks to the next mark, which speaks to the next mark and like finding your way into that painting, through that painting and out of that painting only, only I can do. Right. And I find trading to be so, so similar. Like there's a billion ways to trade the market every day. Right. And until you get comfortable enough with your own style to be like, this is what I do and this is how I trade it. I think that's really, that's the light bulb kind of moment is that no one can teach you your own style. style. Yeah, exactly. Agreed. I really agree with that. There's so many different ways to interpret what you're seeing on the screen. You know, when you when you when you're trading and you and it's it feels like it's you against the computer in front of you, or you against the market. It's really, you know, what is the market? It's a bunch of other participants just like us behind another screen that are seeing the same thing we're seeing, but interpreting it slightly differently. The majority of them are going to pick one direction, and that's the direction the market's going to go, right? So, um, we try to if you can interpret it like the masses, you'll do better. If that makes any sense. Yeah. Right. Do you think that you'll try this at all? Like, okay, not charting using FIB levels because you can do that whether you're trading futures or anything, anything. right? So that's that's different. Um, but do you think that you'll look into trading futures or do you feel like you need to have like blinders on as you're still kind of working through what you want to do long term as a strategy? You know, I through you – I'm not – Throwing you any shade, just as a matter a fact, you That's have what not. This is, for. this is cool. You have not been on every episode recently, but yes. sort of every episode for the last ten episodes, I've just honed in like more and more and more on exactly what I want to do. And I'm really getting kind of back to like I really like a nice mid cap. EMA writing stock that doesn't have a billion people in it and the volume isn't like the top volume of the day. I like to just get in a stock, hold it for three or four hours, and then have like very specific rules on when I cut that stock. But I, it's taken all of these conversations for me to go back to, that was what I liked when I first started trading. And then I went on all of these different, like, I'm going to do this, I'm going to do this, I'm going to do this. And then sort of coming back home to that thing that I really like and having all of this knowledge that I've gained from all the different things makes me feel like such a stronger 
trader because I've chosen these things or whatever. But I do just hearing you talk about the fibs and the levels and having it click so much in my mind of like, oh, that's what I'm already seeing, I think. I would be very interested in using it on the things that I like to trade. Long answer. <laughs> no, I mean, it, it was. I I think, so let me pull, so let's just use the Discord that, that everyone's in, MTA, as like a population size, you know, for everybody. How many people do you think are actively trading futures or maybe not actively, but at least dabbling in it? In MTA? Yeah. I mean, it's growing. It was just me and Chathan, right? At first, and Enar and Donnie. It was like four, maybe five of us. I might be missing somebody. Um, and then we've had some stragglers come in, and some of them have are having a tough time with it. I know Minotaur is in there. He's not having. He's having a little bit of a tough time. And um, I'm trying to think names. I'm not. I know I'm forgetting a few names, but a couple of guys have dropped out. Or um, oh, Rogue. Who? Rogue's doing it, right? Rogue's doing Rogue. it, sure. Yeah. Now we're up to right. So so what happened is I think Broda had come in. And said, "Whoa, what am I missing out on here?" And I've been trying to get him in there Money. for a long time because he's a, he's really good at trading. I'm like, "You're really good so at trading. Good. How are you not leveraging that to the max right now?" At some point, he joined us and was messing around. Um, was was kind of lurking first and then jumped in. Um, before you knew it, he was using fibs and he was uh, looking at the futures before he started tra- uh, trading it during his day, and uh, started commenting on it. Then Maxi came in, and then. Um, Rogue is in there now and Sellers and um, LOL. And so th- it's it's growing. You know, Wheels is in there. There's, there's a, I can't name so, everybody. So if – but if you're naming people by name though, like that's a pretty concentrated population, right? It's, it's growing and they're all active and it's, it's actually yeah. a really fun little group right now. They yeah. have a blast in that room. So in general, do you think there's a lot of people that do not trade futures – because they don't understand them yep. or is there something more to it? I it's think they really don't understand them, one. And two, probably they, they haven't been trading long enough to be approved for a futures account. Got it. Got it. That could be a, a pretty big piece of red tape there, right? Well, you can <laughs> you can probably exaggerate your experience if you wanted to. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, to your own detriment, right? <laughs> well, if you don't know what you're doing, you shouldn't be, right? Yeah, yeah, I yeah, yeah. Agree. No, I got it. So I guess I'm going to ask uh, an abstract question. Okay. But do you think in a way, yes, I understand volume price analysis, right? The, and the importance of it. But do you think that there's some benefit to the fact that the number of people trading futures is a little bit smaller? Do I think there's a benefit to the room or to futures in general? What do you mean? Yeah, yeah. Just no, 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 no. In general, not not the room. Sorry. Just in general that, that, you know, you, that the group of people that are generally frequenting futures trades is a smaller number of people. Yes. I, I don't think that. I think that's that's a bad thing. That's not a good you thing. You think it's detrimental? Absolutely. Okay. Uh, I do think it's detrimental because it's it's there's a lot of big players with deep, deep pockets that play this game. I mean, they, oh, you're, you're talking, looking at two of them. <laughs> <laughs> I didn't realize. I'm so sorry. Um, <laughs> oh, Blaine, thanks for keeping a straight face. We really appreciate that. <laughs> <laughs> so, uh, I mean, they, they used to be times when, you know, some, some hedge funds wanted the 
futures to be somewhere so that their mm-hmm. stock could do something else, or their portfolio could could be can get green again. I mean, they would try to move this thing around. Um, and it's it's messing around. It, it it's it's problematic because of what it can do to the overall market, what it could do to the day trader, to the little guys. It's it it sets the tone for the day. It sets the tone for the trades that are, that are likely to happen throughout the day. Um, the more people that are doing it, the more people that understand it, the more people that are involved in futures. Number one, they'll be more liquid and and, and they'll and they'll move more consistently. Not that they don't move consistently now, but. Um, but I think more people can take advantage of the fact and less of the more people can take advantage of the plus sides of it. And there'll be it'll be less likely to be taken advantage of by those bigger players with very, very deep pockets. And like I said, it takes billions to move this thing around now. It doesn't take millions. So, yeah. And people still move it around. You guys ready for some questions? Sure. Um, when did you begin to have the confidence that you have you're one of the few traders i've seen not really get shaken at all by a position oh yeah i'm falling over that thank god um (laughs) it's only been a few the last few years like i said that i've been confident enough because because once you get to a point where you've tried everything and you're like you know what nothing works i need to just do it my way and see this my way. Um, when I did that, and then every time I went to take the trade, I actually followed my plan, and I saw that it played out. Even if I left too early or entered incorrectly because I because I was getting anxious or went through all those emotions, even but I still still saw my setup work properly. After enough times of seeing that, at some point you're just like you know my setup has always worked, so I'm just going to keep I'm going to do it this time. Yeah. And you hold it through and you and it succeeds. And you're like, wow, it, I, I actually did it. And then you do it again. And then you do it again. And at some point, it's just like you have real, real confidence in your move and in your trade and your setup. Then at that point, you know, you get to move forward. You get to make money. You know, I like that. All right. Um Donnie wants to know about your strategy for the $500 futures challenge where you destroyed Broda. <laughs> My strategy was keep the keep it small at first and build up the account. At the end, I, I've leveraged everything. At the end, I wanted to make sure I pulled ahead. So <laughs> I went all in. <laughs> so like, this is a real thing, you versus yeah. Broda. Yeah, it was a real thing. Well, no, it was all of us. It was all okay. of us in the training room, in the, in the futures room, right? We all kind of threw in a few dollars. Um, we start, I started at 500 um, some people started with less. Some people blew up their accounts right away and put more money in. And me and Broda kept it going. Um, Broda got up to about 10k or so, right over it, I think. At the le- towards the, the end, of, towards the very end, the le- very last day, he was catching up to me, and I was like, "No way!" So <laughs> I took all 20 contracts and I started dumping them into trades. I'm like, "I'm getting way ahead," and I ended up pulling out another five thousand dollars that last day, which is fifty percent. That's what lever- that's what that's what futures can do for you. It's and they, they weren't even that great of trades. They were really small trades, um, but it, at, when you're leveraging twenty contracts, you know how I said one contract is twelve dollars and fifty cents. Well, ten contracts is one hundred twenty-five dollars per tick. Twenty contracts is two hundred and fifty dollars per tick. So per tick is four ticks in a point, and the average move in the futures is ten points. That's forty ticks times two hundred and fifty dollars. It's ten grand. You know, it's, it adds up really fast. You know, 
Um, and if you can, and you can do that consistently every day with with futures. So I saw those last few trades, and I was like, I'm taking them, and I posted them. Every time I took, I'm like, Broda, everybody, oh, this is where I'm at. I just took this trade. Here's a screenshot of what I did. Here's my ladder. This is what, this is what it looks like. Um, and I ended up pulling ahead and winning. So the, the strategy I used was start small. Don't I didn't I didn't go all in at the beginning. I didn't let full. I didn't do full leverage. I only did about tenth leverage or so. And then as I built up the account to about a thousand bucks, I went up a little heavier. And as I was winning, whenever I was winning, I betted heavier. I put more money on the line. And the days that I was kind of off, I was really small. I stayed small. I never escalated, never increased my uh, um, my trade. So at the very end is when I really went in heavy. And I was just really out of, uh, you know, just out of the need to win more than anything. Sure, sure. <laughs> sure. Beating Broda in a trading contest. Congratulations. Thank you. All right. Um, how do you balance a full-time job while you're trading? Well, I'm and enough- I'm, I will couple that with what's your market prep routine before open? I think those are sort of. Okay. So it is very similar, right? So I wake up in the morning and I'm, the first thing I'm going to do when I turn on the computer is try to figure out what the market's doing, where it's been overnight, where I think it might be going during the day based on its movement. Um, and I spend my morning doing that from about six to eight. I spend a good two hours and I trade during that time, most days. So although I work full time, I'm trading those two hours of the day, which tend to be fairly busy. Europe's open, London's open, and they, they're pretty active. Um, they tend to move the market pretty well. So I do all of that. As market prep, what I do is I check all the indices. I trade ES mostly. So I look at NASDAQ. I look at the, the Russell. I look at the Dow. And I look at the S&P. And I try to figure out you know, where the divergence are, what's happening with these different trades, um, what kind of news might be coming out today, what might affect the market, what are we, where are we expecting, are we at all-time highs, is it time for a pullback, are we running away too quickly, is it too hot in one direction? So I'm looking at all kinds of different things that that matter to the market, and I post a lot of those in the futures. They end, and if you look at futures education, you'll find a, a number of those things also. Um I spend a good two hours trading and reviewing and trying to understand what's, what's ahead of me for the day. Then when I get to the office, I kind of already know all that. And I, and I trade in between things. So I'm not always able to catch the move. It's just, sometimes I'm just not available for it. Unfortunately, the market doesn't want to work on my schedule. I got to work on the market <laughs> schedule. Right. So um, when I am available, I'm sitting from the computer and I see something set up, I grab it, I take advantage of it. I'll call it out sometimes. Um, if I see something longer term, I'll definitely point it out. We're generally moving up. If you see a pullback, that's viable. If you're generally moving down, if you see a, if you see a pop, that's sellable, you know. Um, and I'll look for that throughout the day. And if when something shows up, I'll, I'll jump on it and take the trade. Um, it's it's a, it's a tough balance, you know. It's it's a lot, but I'm lucky enough to be in a position where I, I'm not low level in my company, right? So I have some say. I get have my office. I get to close it once in a while. I get to schedule certain things, so I can pick a few times during the day where I can be quiet. That's not avail- that's not available for everybody unless you're working from home, maybe, or you're you're up a level also. You know, makes sense. Um, <laughs> being an emu, do you ever get jealous of other birds that can fly? <laughs> <laughs> no, me and the ostriches and the penguins, we get together and we uh, we talk crap. <laughs> Perfect. Perfect. Um, other than futures, what else do you enjoy trading? 
Everything. I mean, I like trading everything if the opportunity is there and I see it. I mean, I'll, I'll trade options. I'll trade small caps. I'll trade over the counters. I took a, a little over the counter trade the other day. It was like a five cent trade. Jumped up to seven cents and sold it. Made some Perfect. decent money on it. You know, it's, <laughs> uh, I'll trade anything that looks like it has a good setup and has and has uh, some range to it. Um. How does your style of trading transition when you trade equities versus futures? What tends to work better for you in one market, but not as well in the other? You know, I use a lot of the same trading techniques across everything I trade. Not a lot changes, except for stocks that maybe move in a small range up and down and tend to, tend to stay in that range. They'll pop at two, two or three times a year, some of the smaller commons, and then they'll just go back to a range and stay flat again. I stay away from those typically. My style doesn't work with that. It works well with fluid, moving up and down. Oh, these are from Broda. How does he work out the EOP? How did I work that out? Yeah. Okay, so um, there's a trading, there's a there's a something called a um, opening range trade where you watch what happens with the whatever you're trading for the first 30 minutes of the day. And it'll just kind of create a range. This is the high. This is the low within that first 30 minutes of the day. And the way you're supposed to trade that is when it breaks out of that range, you go long. If it goes up, if it breaks down, you go short. And then you grab that move, whatever that move might be. And I tried that for a while. And it just wasn't working for me. And I couldn't figure out why it wasn't working for me. There should be a better way to gauge direction. So I started to get have a better understanding of, uh, how to find trends and their general direction, uh, higher highs, higher lows, lower highs, lower lows, you know, as an uptrend and a downtrend. So in the morning, what I would look for is exactly that. I would look for 930 open. I'd, I would make believe nothing existed before 930. At 930 open, I'd watch the price action. And what I'd notice is a lot of times it would pop up, retrace about halfway, and then continue up. And then a lot of times that 30-minute opening range would just would catch the opening and part of that pop-up, right? Sometimes it would go outside it and then come back in because it would happen over more than 30 minutes. Other days it would drop really quick, retrace about 50% and then fall. And as I noticed that and watched that, what I ended up uh, doing is pulling fibs on them and, and noticing if you pull fib on it, that you can actually, it'll hit those targets. It'll hit the targets that the, that the fibs pull. And sometimes it would hit, much further second, third, and fourth target. And I, I didn't know why or how far or what to gauge at the time as much as I do now, but I could I could definitely um, count on at least the first target getting hit whenever I saw that setup. So I tried it over many months. And then uh, after I noticed that happening, it wasn't just pulling fibs on the daily. You could actually pull fibs on the five-minute. You could actually pull fibs on the 50-minute, on the hourly. Um, and I started using all those different levels that turned into my opening play. It was no longer the opening range. It was, am I getting a kind of an N, but the second half was a little higher? I, I can expect to move up, or am I getting kind of a U and the second half a little lower, and I'm probably going to get a move down? Um, and then when I started drawing fibs on that, it all kind of started making sense to me. And after, like I said, I, was, I started explaining it to people at MTA, and um, that's when I refined it in terms of when to enter at what point at the five-minute close, at the close of the candle and continuation, and that 50% uh, being resistance. If you watch the video, you'll, you'll know what I mean. Yeah, I can't wait to watch the video. Um, all right, this is going to be the last question because we're, we are sort of running out of time, but I love okay. this question. 
What were the key lessons you would give a small futures account trader? Key lessons are start small. Start First of all, start with paper trading for sure on futures. No matter what anybody tells you about having skin in the game, forget it. Start with paper. Refine a system that's profitable without emotions. Forget it because there are no emotions when you're paper trading. Just figure out what's happening and which way it's going and why. Once you start to get a feel for futures and direction and price action and how how levels work and, and uh, how far it could actually go, what it could do to your account in terms of growing it or quickly shrinking it, um, and you have a profitable system that you can use fairly consistently, then I would put some money into account and trade real, real small. Micros is what I would start with, is what, I, is what they're called. They're one-tenth of the, uh, of the normal um, futures. Um, start real, real small, put a little money into the game. And then if you can be profitable with micros, it's, it's not a hard step to go up to full contracts, to full ES contracts or MQ contracts. It's not, it's not a difficult move. But if you're not consistently profitable in micros, don't ever step up. Don't increase the number of contracts. Don't move, don't increase your leverage. Forget it. It's not, it's not worth it. That one trade will wipe that one wrong trade that you think is going to bounce when it doesn't. It just keeps going against you and going against you. But the RSI is oversold. It'll stay oversold. It'll stay oversold for hours sometimes and just fall off the planet. It's done that. So you don't want to be in that trade. And you need to understand that it's not like commons. It, if you're wrong, get out right away. And if you're right, add to it and you'll do really, really well. That's the best advice I could give somebody. And use the YMO opening play. <laughs> That reminds me of options. If you're like, that's what I do. If I'm wrong, I cut. And if I'm right, I'll add to it. You Who knows if that's right early. or not? What? It could work. I said, it, you, you said, if you're wrong, you cut. And you said, if you're right. And I said, you sell too early. <laughs> no, I've been adding more just to kidding. it. Just, adding more to it. But I always, I love to sell too early. If there's a way to cautiously day trade, Justin, I'm all in. <laughs> uh, Justin, awesome. how likely are you to get approved for futures tomorrow, not paper trade, and go all in? Um, <laughs> after the last question that Emu just answered, not doing that. Okay. All right. We're I, learning. I am going to check out Emu's opening play, though. You should. I'll be looking. You do well. Cool. <laughs> awesome. Well, Emu, you are delightful. I'm also going to ask you later, probably for a personal fib, you know, lesson. Sure. Um, and then I'm going to become like the fib queen. I can see it all in my mind's eye. So that sounds great. That sounds great. <laughs> all right. Well, have an awesome night and we appreciate your time and we'd love to have you back anytime. You too. Yeah, I appreciate it. Yeah, we'll definitely do it again sometime. Absolutely. Can't wait. Have a great night. Thanks, all you right. Thank you to our producer, Joel Edwards and Chesley Lowe for the banjo music. Please like, subscribe and share this on social media. We appreciate you guys. By accessing this podcast, you acknowledge that the Penny Lane podcast makes no warranty, guarantee, or representation as to the accuracy or sufficiency of the information featured in this podcast. The information, opinions, and recommendations presented in this podcast are for general information only, and any reliance on the information provided in this podcast is done at your own risk. This podcast should not be considered professional or financial advice. 
Unless specifically stated otherwise, the Penny Lane Podcast does not endorse, approve, recommend, or certify any information, product, process, service, or organization presented or mentioned in this podcast. And information from this podcast should not be referenced in any way to imply such approval or endorsement. The third-party materials or content of any third-party site referenced in this podcast do not necessarily reflect the opinions, standards, or policies of the Penny Lane Podcast. The Penny Lane Podcast assumes no responsibility or liability for the accuracy or completeness of the content contained in third-party materials or on third-party sites referenced in this podcast or the compliance with applicable laws of such materials and or links referenced herein.